0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Waynesboro Grace. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciple-making disciples. For more information about our church, you can find us online at waynesborograce.org or on Facebook at Waynesboro Grace. to be with you, and uh, as we've done here for this service, uh, there's a few of us here, and it really is so good to be with them as well, and uh, cannot wait until all of us are back together and gathered with one another. But happy Resurrection Sunday, and uh, it is good to celebrate the empty tomb with you, and you in that regard, we're not really doing anything different than we do on any other Sunday because we're empty tomb people. We're resurrection people. I mean, that's why we gather. That's why we worship. That's who and why and how we have any confidence or any assurance beyond the grave ourselves because the tomb is empty, and jesus has risen from the grave and so in his name and for his glory we worship him and uh, i just want to say thanks for inviting us into your living room or your office or your car wherever it is you might be we're privileged to be there with you and having the opportunity to tell you a little bit about jesus what we began to do last week was think through Uh, Some different roots that you and I as Christ followers need to sink deeply into the soils of our hearts. And the Bible gives us these pictures along the way. And one of the pictures the New Testament in particular gives us about what it looks like to follow Jesus is a picture or a metaphor of agriculture. And we see that all around our world, certainly in Waynesboro, where farmers are getting their tractors out of the barn and they're getting their crops or fields tilled up and ready for seed. And maybe you see it in your backyard or your front flower beds, or maybe you cut your grass this week and you had an opportunity to be just reminded of agriculture in one way shape form or another and the Bible gives us pictures of what it looks like to follow Jesus and one of those pictures from the New Testament is a picture of agriculture and throughout the the New Testament that language gets used to describe different roots that we should sink deeply into the soils of our hearts or roots that we should pluck and Over the next several weeks and months together, we're going to be exploring those different roots with one another. And the root we began to look at last week, we're going to finish up today. And it's the root of an eternal perspective. And it's a root that has our focus and our attention on what lies beyond the grave. And it's a root that absolutely makes a difference in our lives when we think about it in regards to salvation the only hope or confidence we have in life beyond death, life eternal, is through faith in Jesus Christ. And John 3.16 records for us that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal or everlasting Life. We know that salvation is only found in the person of Jesus Christ and placing our faith and trust in Him and asking for the forgiveness of our sins. And yet, this perspective or this truth that there exists an eternity beyond our limited set of days is something that makes a difference in our lives today. And it'll make a difference in our lives tomorrow. And it makes a difference. Because we are reminded that the 80, 90, 100 years or so that we think we might have pale in comparison when set against the grand landscape or timeline of eternity. And we began to try to understand that with one another. And last week we specifically thought about how having an eternal perspective changes How we think about and how we use and how we steward or save our money and our resources. We also thought about how having an eternal perspective changes the way we process pleasure and happiness. What it is that we pursue, perhaps it's a check on what our hearts may be desiring at this point in time that we shouldn't. But having an eternal perspective centers us back to think about what matters most and causes us to ask the questions, are we seeking to glorify our lives or glorify Jesus with our lives? And we're going to be looking at different roots to plant. And some of you have already done this, but I just want to remind you that if you've not been by the church parsonage, you need to do so because there are a whole bunch of flowers on the patio and I spied on somebody today that was picking some up and um, Eric has just done a tremendous job and if nothing else you need to drive by the the church and the parsonage within probably the next day or so and the rest of the tulips are going to be out and they just look spectacular but we wanted to give you a way to just take a visual home and think about this idea of roots Because when you take this home and you plant this, you're going to see the roots. And then you're going to get your soil ready, whether it's in a flower bed or a potted plant or wherever it may be. You're going to get your soil ready and you're going to plant those things. and You're going to water these flowers and you're going to see them grow over time. And, And there's just some tremendous, tremendous things that that picture of agriculture or just organic growth that the New Testament gives us does for our hearts and for our souls and it helps us just get a visualization of what it might look like to follow Jesus because there are things that we should be seeking to plant deeply within our souls. There are things that we should seek to pluck from our souls as well that want to compete for the space there, for the soil there, for perhaps even the nutrients for the life there, and if we let some of those roots go unchecked, we actually do find that life begins to fade, that joy and happiness begin to fade, and we're going to step through those things over the next several months and weeks together, but today we're going to unpack and think through the second half of having an eternal perspective, and before we go any further and before we open God's word together, I just want to pray with you wherever you might be and just to ask God to just come and meet with us in a special way as we turn our attention to what he has said and seek to understand it. So would you join me? Well God in heaven we do ask for those things now. We ask that you would help us to understand what it is that you have written. God we believe that you have written your word you've given us your word you've, you've you've preserved it through the ages so that in this moment we could open it and we could hear from you and so God we believe that you have spoken and that it's in our best interest to draw near and listen and so God I pray that we might be like Samuel who heard your voice and after a few moments of not being quite sure what was going on he followed the advice of Eli. He just simply said, Here I am, O Lord. Your servant is listening. Speak. So God, help us to have the posture and the humility of a servant. We ask you as our Lord, as our God, as our King, to speak. We just ask that you be gracious to us to Help us understand what it is that you have written, that we might have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that understand and minds that can comprehend. And we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this root of an eternal perspective that we're going to be looking at together, we'll consider in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you have your Bibles... I'd encourage you or invite you to grab them and turn there. One of the things that we see in the names of God that we just finished up a few weeks ago is this truth that Jesus drew near to us to bring us near to God. And that's one of the names that he takes that we looked at sought to understand. The name Emmanuel, God with us. And there was was one reason that Jesus came. He didn't come to be a good moral teacher, though he is. He didn't come to be a profound moral example, though he is. He came to draw near to us so that he could bring us to God. When we place our faith and trust in him, we are reconciled with God the Father. We're given The hope then of eternal life that whoever believes in him would not perish but have that everlasting or eternal life. And we see in the person of Jesus that he drew near to us to bring us near to God. Because there is an eternity that exists apart from the few limited number of days that we are given. And one of the ways we tried to just conceptualize this last week was to consider that this rope represented eternity. And the taped part here represented not our lives, but the span of time that world has been around, that history has recorded for us. And if you can see it, if the camera can pick it up, that little blue line there is represent- representative, or perhaps generously so, of our little part in the world's stage and the drama of history. It's insignificant at best when placed against the landscape and on the backdrop or timeline of eternity, but it is significant in that what we do today matters and how we live our lives here and now matters. And as we think through what Jesus has done for us and we turn our focus and attention on him, as we look up and consider what it means to be Disciple-making disciples, having an eternal focus is going to do some tremendous things for us. It's going to help us understand what our focus should actually be, what our purpose is that God has given us. And at Grace, we try to understand our mission is to glorify God by being disciple-making disciples. And we see that further unpacked in Second Corinthians chapter for And we do so on the backdrop of affliction, of trial, of points in time, in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul where things weren't rosy. And perhaps that's where you find yourself today. I don't know what level of upsettedness COVID-19 has brought to your world, but it is a different world today than it was just three or four weeks ago. And as we think through our focus And our purpose, there's some tremendous things that God's word gives us regarding how eternity shapes what our focus is to be today. And so I want to look at that first big idea with you that faith in Christ leads to speaking about Christ. And I would just encourage you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 13 and 15 with me, Paul writes, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. In these verses, we see that faith in Christ leads to speaking about Christ. And we might even be able to add to that no matter what the cost. Paul just got done in verses 8 to 12, writing about the high cost An affliction that he and his associates have experienced as a result of being ministers of the gospel. And he he writes to the church in Corinth, articulating these things to them. We can see in him a pattern to follow. We can see a focus and a purpose to emulate as he has elsewhere said, imitate me, follow me. We see in this first set of verses that faith in Christ leads us to speaking about Christ. And there he says in verse 13 that we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. Now that's not a direct reference to the Holy Spirit. It's referenced... Rather, or it's a reference rather to just the, the byproduct of the work of the spirit in our lives. That there's a, that there's a, a resolve or an, a strengthening, an empowerment that, that takes place in our human spirits as a result of placing our faith and trust in Jesus and being made more into the image of Jesus. And, and he says this in quoting the psalmist, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. And what Paul does in quoting Psalm 116, verse 10, is he takes what the psalmist wrote, where the psalmist wrote, I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. And the psalmist there is remembering some days or points in time in his life where life was hard. And we're not given the details exactly of what the hardship was, but there was some affliction being experienced. And he was writing about that affliction and he says in the midst of that, I still believed. My faith in God had not wavered, even though I was finding myself in the midst of difficult days. And Paul takes that psalm and he applies it to his current situation and just says, look, we have that same spirit of faith. The outworking of God's work in our lives has led us to the same conclusion. And we also believe in the midst of all the affliction, our faith in Christ has not wavered. We also believe and so we also speak. And there in verse 14, he transitions to say that we know or uses the present participle knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also. With Jesus. That word knowing that Paul uses there is just defined as to have an understanding of knowledge, to possess knowledge. And the way he writes this word and the way he uses it, Paul is clearly indicating that that the issue is settled in his mind. It's not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. There's no more evidence that needs to be brought the disabled. There's no more exhibits to be placed in the courtroom. The decision has been made. We know something. And that knowledge has led us to something despite the difficulty that we find ourselves in. And what the knowledge is, what he knows for certain, what he needs no other evidence to support, is that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul says this, and this is the idea that he's communicating, that God will raise us one day, that the resurrection is guaranteed. And if you think back, perhaps, to what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 regarding the truthfulness of the resurrection, but also the absolute dependency that the Christian faith places on the resurrection it's tremendous because in there in that set of verses in chapter 15 he walks through seven different aspects of how our faith would crumble and would be shown to be futile and in vain if the resurrection wasn't true and here Paul talks about the confidence he has to speak in the midst of affliction comes from faith in Jesus and the knowledge of the resurrection. Donald Barnhouse, Barnhouse, excuse me, was pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And he was with his children, having just attended the funeral service of their mother and his first wife. And he preached the funeral and they were driving home Together, And he found himself wondering and looking for and trying to find some way to comfort his children, perhaps even himself. And at that point in the drive, there was a, a truck that came and it passed them. And as the moving van or moving truck passed them, the shadow of the truck swept over the car that they were in. And Dr. Barnhouse, Barnhouse said to his children, would you rather be run over by the truck or by its shadow? And his children said, well, Dad, we'd, we'd certainly be rather run over by the shadow. And he said, did you know that 2,000 years ago, the truck of death hit Jesus so that all you and I would experience today would be the shadow. And so certain in the mind of Paul as he writes this is the resurrection that in the midst of affliction it still compels him to speak. Because having an eternal focus on what's to come that comes out of and is, and is birthed from faith in Jesus leads us to speak about Jesus, no matter what the cost. It's as if Paul said to this church, I love you. And your need for Jesus is greater than my need for comfort. I think there might be a variety of reasons we hold back from speaking about Jesus. Perhaps we hold back when we're with certain family members or certain friend groups or perhaps we've held back in our jobs, in our neighborhoods. And my guess is many of the reasons that we found ourselves holding back have been stripped away recently. Perhaps you didn't want to make Thanksgiving dinner awkward by bringing up faith in Jesus. And now we're all grappling with the reality, or at least the question, are all of those same people going to be at Thanksgiving dinner next year? You know, that actually wasn't a different question than ever existed before. And we know that. our next breath isn't guaranteed. Our, our tomorrow is not guaranteed. Next November is not guaranteed. We know that and we're reminded of that all over the place because of how frail life is and how unforgiving death is. But yet something about the pandemic right now has led us to think about those things differently than we've ever thought about them before. And faith in Christ leads us to speak about Him something that we are experienced today begins to strip away some of those reasons we might have had for not speaking. Maybe you've just been concerned about your job and you don't want to step on any toes in the workforce and you don't want to whatever it might is and you fill in the blank and maybe your job's been stripped away through no fault of your own, but maybe layoffs have happened and you just find yourself without work and you may have opportunities now to reach out to those coworkers and, and just ask them. I mean, it could be as simple as: hey, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? You might be able to do the same things in your neighborhood. We we thought briefly last week about how toilet paper now is conversation currency. And I did it yesterday. I walked, I wanted to talk to one of my neighbors check in, see how things were going. I walked all the way down my block with a roll of toilet paper in my hand. He was sitting on his porch. I walked up and he caught my eye and we exchanged glances and I just tossed the roll to him. And he just started laughing. And we had a good five, ten minute conversation together just about what's going on in life and what's going on in their home and what's going on in the world around us. Faith in Christ leads to speaking about Christ. Maybe you've not wanted to be the weird neighbor and live out your faith in a way that your neighbors know. But right now, you might be the only neighbor that has hope, that doesn't find themselves in the midst of despair. And it's not that your circumstances might be any different than their circumstances. It's just, you know, the one who holds eternity in his hands, you know, the one who came near to you so that you could be brought near to God. Faith in Christ leads us to speaking about Christ. Secondly, in verses 16 to 18, we see that faith in Christ leads to resolve. Paul writes, so we do not lose heart. Faith in Christ leads to resolve. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. That set of words means to not be afraid in the face of difficulty. That because of who Jesus is, because of the eternity that he holds in his hands, because of our faith in him, because of the empty tomb, we do not fear in the face of difficulty, that there is a resolve that believers carry with them. But he's honest in the acknowledgment that the outer self, this this body that you and I have, and even the world around us is is wasting away. That word wasting away means to be spoiled or destroyed. And he contrasts that the the outer shell, the world around us with the inner self that's being renewed Day by day, I thought about bananas, which, to a point, the outer peel begins to degrade. It'll show spots along the way as it does so. And yet, the inside's actually finishing some of its ripening process. Now, that illustration is going to break down because eventually the outer side, the outside is going to be completely brown and the inside is going to be completely mush. And the only thing they're good for at that point is banana nut bread. But to a point. You see the outer wasting away and the inner ripening. Paul says this, look, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. That word word renewed is this idea of of daily renewal, of daily strengthening, of daily encouragement. It's it's what the Old Testament author said where his mercies are new every morning. And though the shell that we have, the tent, Paul's going to say in our next section, finds itself breaking down. The inner man, the new creation, he'll say in chapter 5 or 17, is being renewed and strengthened and empowered anew day by day. And faith in Christ leads us to resolve. We don't have fear in the face of Of difficulty, we don't lose motivation or give up because we know who holds eternity in his hands. We know who rose from the grave. We know that God who raised Jesus from the grave will also raise them with you and I from the grave. Paul says this in verse 17 for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, I don't believe Paul's trying to make light of the difficult circumstances that he was experiencing, or the difficult experiences that you might be experiencing, whether it's COVID-19 related or not. I don't believe he's trying to make light of that as if to trivialize them and just tell you to get over it. I think rather in thinking through these things on the backdrop of eternity and with an eternal focus founded on and, 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 and created by and through our faith in Christ, he's trying to help us put them into perspective. And the contrast he gives there in verse 17 is that the hard we experience now is, is light and it's momentary compared to what is coming. That eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He says it this way in Romans chapter 8 verse 18. For I know, I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Paul says that what's here and now, as hard as it is. Is light and momentary when contrasted with the weight of glory that is being prepared for you and I. That weight of glory, he tells us, is beyond all comparison. That word means to have excess or extraordinarily more. In looking at that word and the word Paul chose to use there, is this, it's as if he didn't have any other words he could have added. And it's beyond all comparison. It's greater than your greatest imagination or dreams of what it might be. I don't know what you've experienced of the last several weeks. I know there's a few COVID-19 things that we've experienced that we've even. Thought through and kind of walked through to a certain degree with different individuals in our lives. And it was just a couple of weeks ago, as, as, as quarantine rules were, were really breaking through and as restrictions were beginning to get imposed, it was before the face mask encouragement that came just a few short days ago. And it's, it was certainly before whatever comes in the next couple of days that we don't yet know about. But we got a call from a good friend whose grandfather was going to be at the side of his wife's bed. She was in a nursing home and the call was and the request was to pray that my grandma dies quickly. Because her grandfather, this husband, could only go in and leave once. He couldn't go back and forth. He wanted to be there. And it just wasn't going to be feasible for him to stay for days or a week or whatever that amount of time would have been. This light and momentary affliction. Paul says prepares a weight of glory beyond all comparison. Carrie and I talked with some friends, somebody in our neighborhood few weeks ago, and we were a restaurant worker. If you've ever been a restaurant worker, and that's your primary means of income, you know income's tight. Two and a half weeks in, money's just about gone. What Paul says is that even in the midst of the hard, and the hard now is different than it was before, because like the regular stuff of life that's hard hasn't stopped. Paul says God's doing something in the midst of the hard. He's doing something. He's preparing for us something. And in verse 18, the focus to eternity comes back front and center. And he says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen. Are eternal an eternal focus or faith in Christ leads to resolve well thirdly in verses 1 and 2 chapter 5 we see that faith in Christ leads us to long for eternity and there Paul writes this for we know that if the tent That is, our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan, we long or we're longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. What Paul is saying is that the very worst that could happen in this life is actually the very best scenario for us for eternity. Now, that is not permission for you and I to go end our lives now or end somebody else's life because we think we are causing them to get an upgrade. What he's saying on the backdrop of eternity, when you think through and you factor what there is, what it is that we're experiencing that the very best is yet to come. And faith in Christ leads us to long for eternity. It leads us to long to be with Jesus. And he told his disciples that in John 14. He said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back then so that where you may be, or where I am, you may be also. Faith in Christ leads us to long for eternity. It leads us to the, the, the conclusion or the perspective or the daily mindset that what's here and now is, is, is seen, but it's transient. And what we want is the unseen and the eternal. One of the most very powerful statements that I have ever heard made was done so by a mother who had just lost her daughter, who was not that much older than Carrie and I at the time, to cancer. And amongst the well wishes and the kind words from from friends, someone asked the question, do you think your daughter is looking down right now and smiling? And this mother just graciously said, no. She's worshiping Jesus face to face. Faith in Christ leads us to long for eternity. And until natural death or the rapture of the church, Paul says we, we, we groan. And we do so longing to put on our heavenly dwelling because what we have right now is just described as a tent. It's temporary. There's a major difference between the tent you pop up when you go camping and the home you live in. Despite your best efforts otherwise, those of you that have done the tiny home or the giant RV thing, there still is a difference. Faith in Christ leads us to long for eternity. And it should cause us to ask the question, are we longing for eternity? Is that a longing of our hearts? And perhaps you're like me. And it's not nearly the longing that it should be. Maybe you find yourself thinking, you know, I'll long for eternity. I'll long to be with Jesus forever after I graduate college. Or I'll long for eternity after I get married or after I have kids. Or I'll I'll long for eternity after I can get my career on track or after the kids get out of college. Or I'll want to long for eternity when the grandkids come. And I'm going to whatever it might be, whatever you put in that blank. Are you longing for eternity? Faith in Christ should cause us. To so long for that eternity. One of the things that happens when we have some of our comforts and freedoms. Some of the, the, the semblance of control that we live with in our daily lives. When, when, when that gets stripped away. Usually our longings. Become a little bit more clear. We can find ourselves with opportunities to ask these types of questions that we may not have had otherwise. Faith in Christ leads us to speak about Christ no matter. What the cost faith in Christ leads us to resolve. And that's not an American pick yourself up by your bootstraps resolve. That's a that's a resolve that is based on and founded on the person and work of Jesus Christ and his promise to one day return resolve. That's a resolve that carries you through the very worst. Faith in Christ leads us to long for eternity and as we just consider the soil of our heart as we consider how to plant this eternal perspective or this eternal root that much more deeply we have to do so by spending time with the Lord Spending time in his word, you you have to carve out some some opportunities in your life to not be distracted by everything else that may want to crowd in and compete for your attention. And maybe you don't have the same list of competing issues or opportunities now, but Netflix and Disney Plus can sure give us a run for our money if we're not careful. We have to carve out time to ask these types of questions that as I follow Jesus, as I seek to live for him, as I seek to be a disciple who makes disciples, am I living with an eternal perspective? Jesus is our cornerstone. And just in a few short moments, we're going to sing those words together that My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Believer, you and I have some questions to ask ourselves about the soil of our hearts and whether we've found ways for that root of an eternal focus to sink deep. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you know of him. Maybe it's a name that you've heard. Maybe it's a name that you hear spoken in derogatory terms, whatever it might be, but maybe you don't know him as Lord and Savior. The Bible, from beginning to end, Reveals the story of a God who loves his creation. and Set into motion before even the foundation of the world. A plan to save his people from their sins. And that plan was to send Jesus. That he might be God with us. And he may draw near to us so that we may be brought near to God. And there's no magic words for you to say. There's no no special prayer for you to pray. It's just simply an acknowledgement that you need Jesus. You believe that he is who he says that he is. That he lived the perfect life you and I are incapable of living, that he died the death that you and I were supposed to die. That he rose from the grave and has promised to return. And Right where you are, regardless of where you are, you can cry out to him. He's our cornerstone. He's the only one on whom any Measure of hope can be found. Let's pray. Oh God, in heaven, we thank you that you loved the world so much that you sent your one and only Son to die for us. And you have said that whoever believes in him would not perish. But have everlasting life. God, you, you, you tell us that we don't, need to, we don't need to check a list of boxes. We don't need to find ourselves doing the right things. or trying to find a way to get rid of our wrong things. We just need to believe in Jesus. God, I pray for those who may be watching this right now. Who have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. God, would you move and stir in their hearts and minds that they would cry out to you and surrender their lives. That in the celebration of the resurrection on Easter Sunday, there would be new life. There would be a resurrection in their hearts. God, for those of us that do believe in Jesus, do love Jesus, and want to follow Jesus, we pray that you would help us sink very deeply this root of an eternal perspective. That our faith in him would lead us to speak, that would cause a swelling of resolve in us and a desire and a longing for eternity it's in his good name we pray. Amen.